Section 15 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan, Volume 1, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. I never had the fortune to be presented to any legitimate king, nor to any usurper of the prerogatives of royalty, except Mohammed Ali, old as he was i gave him some good advice and it grieves me that the old lion is now shorn of his mane considering carrera a promising young man i told him that he had a long career before him and might do much good to his country and he laid his hand upon his heart and with a burst of feeling that i did not expect said he was determined to sacrifice his life for his country with all his faults and his crimes none ever accused him of duplicity or of saying what he did not mean and perhaps as many self-deceiving men have done before him he believes himself a patriot i considered that he was destined to exercise an important if not controlling influence on the affairs of central america and trusting that hopes of honorable and extended fame might have some effect upon his character i told him that his name had already reached my country and that i had seen in the newspapers an account of his last entry into guatemala with praises of his moderation and exertions to prevent atrocities he expressed himself pleased that his name was known and such mention made of him among strangers and said he was not a robber and murderer as he was called by his enemies he seemed intelligent and capable of improvement and i told him that he ought to travel into other countries and particularly from its contiguity into mine he had a very indefinite notion as to where my country was he knew it only as el norte or the north inquired about the distance and facility of getting there and said that when the wars were over he would endeavor to make el norte a visit but he could not fix his thoughts upon anything except the wars and morazan in fact he knew of nothing else he was boyish in his manners and manner of speaking but very grave he never smiled and conscious of power was unostentatious in the exhibition of it though he always spoke in the first person of what he had done and what he intended to do. One of the hangers-on, evidently to pay court to him, looked for a paper bearing his signature to show me as a specimen of his handwriting, but he did not find one. My interview with him was much more interesting than I had expected. So young, so humble in his origin, so destitute of early advantages, with honest impulses perhaps but ignorant fanatic sanguinary and the slave of violent passions wielding absolutely the physical force of the country and that force entertaining a natural hatred to the whites at parting he accompanied me to the door and in the presence of his villainous soldiers made me a free offer of his services i understood that i had the good fortune to make a favorable impression and afterward but unluckily during my absence he called upon me in full dress and in state which for him 
was an unusual thing. At that time, as Don Manuel Pavon told me, he professed to consider himself a brigadier general, subject to the orders of the government. He had no regular allowance for the maintenance of himself and troops. He did not like keeping accounts, and called for money when he wanted it. And, with this understanding, in eight months he had not required more than Morazan did in two. He really did not want money for himself, and as a matter of policy he paid the Indians but little. This operated powerfully with the aristocracy, upon whom the whole burden of raising money devolved. It may be a satisfaction to some of my friends to know that this lawless chief is under a dominion to which meeker men are loath to submit. His wife accompanies him on horseback in all his expeditions, influenced by a feeling which is said to proceed sometimes from excess of affection. And I have heard that it is no important part of the business of the chief of the state to settle family jars. As we were returning to my house, we met a gentleman who told Mr. Pavon that a party of soldiers was searching for a member of the assembly who was lying under the displeasure of Carrera, but a personal friend of theirs, and as we passed on we saw a file of soldiers drawn up before his door, while others were inside searching the house. This was done by Carrera's orders without any knowledge on the part of the government. Chapter 12 Party to Mishko A Scene of Pleasure Procession in Honor of the Patron Saint of Mishko Fireworks A Bombardment Smoking Cigars A Night Brawl Suffering and Sorrow A Cockfight A Walk in the Suburbs Sunday Amusements Return to the City in consequence of the convulsions and danger of the times, the city was dull, and there was no gaiety in private circles. But an effort had been made by some enterprising ladies to break the monotony, and a party, to which I was invited, was formed for that afternoon to Mishko, an Indian village about three leagues distant, at which the festival of its patron saint was to be celebrated the next day, with Indian rites. At four o'clock in the afternoon I left my door on horseback to call on Don Manuel Pavon. His house was next to that of the proscribed deputy, and a line of soldiers was drawn around the whole block with the purpose of preventing an escape, while every house was searched. I always gave these gentlemen a wide berth when I could, but it was necessary to ride along the whole line, and as I passed the house of the deputy, with the door closed and sentinels before it, I could but think of his distressed family in agony lest his hiding-place should be discovered. Don Manuel was waiting for me, and we rode to the house of one of the ladies of the party, a young widow whom I had not seen before and who, in her riding-dress, made a fine appearance. Her horse was ready, and when she had kissed the old people good-bye, we carried her off. The women's servants, with familiarity and affection, followed to the door and continued farewell greetings and cautions to take good care of herself, 
which the lady answered as long as we were within hearing. We called at two or three other houses, and then all assembled at the place of rendezvous. The courtyard was full of horses, with every variety of fanciful mountings. Although we were going only nine miles, and to a large Indian village, it was necessary to carry beds, bedding, and provisions. A train of servants large enough to carry stores for a small military expedition was sent ahead, and we all started. Outside the gate all the anxieties and perils which slumbered in the city were forgotten. Our road lay over an extensive plain, seeming, as the sun went down behind the volcanoes of Agua and Fuego, a beautiful bowling green, in which our party, preceded by a long file of Indians with loads on their backs, formed a picture. I was surprised to find that the ladies were not good horsewomen. They never ride for pleasure, and, on account of the want of accommodation on the road, seldom travel. It was after dark when we reached the borders of a deep ravine separating the plain from Mishko. We descended, and, rising on the other side, emerged from the darkness of the ravine into an illuminated street, and at two or three horses' lengths into a plaza blazing with lights and crowded with people, nearly all Indians in holiday costume. In the center of the plaza was a fine fountain, and at the head of it a gigantic church. We rode up to the house that had been provided for the ladies, and leaving them there, the gentlemen scattered to find lodgings for themselves. The door of every house was open, and the only question asked was whether there was room. Some of the young men did not give themselves this trouble, as they were disposed to make a night of it, and Mr. P. and I, having secured a place, returned to the house occupied by the ladies. In one corner was a tienda about ten feet square, partitioned off and shelved, which served as a place for their hats and shawls. The rest of the room contained merely a long table and benches. In a few moments the ladies were ready, and we all sallied out for a walk. All the streets and passages were brilliantly illuminated, and across some were arches decorated with evergreens and lighted, and at the corners were altars under arbors of branches adorned with flowers. The spirit of frolic seemed to take possession of our file leaders, who, as the humor prompted them, entered any house, and after a lively chat left it, contriving to come out just as the last of the party were going in. In one house they found a poncho rolled up very carefully, with the end of a guitar sticking out. The proprietor of the house only knew that it belonged to a young man from Guatemala, who had left it as an indication of his intention to pass the night there. One of the young men unrolled the poncho, and some loaves of bread fell out, which he distributed, and, with half a loaf in his mouth, struck up a waltz, which was followed by the quadrille. The good people of the house seemed pleased at this free use of their roof, and shaking hands all around, with many expressions of goodwill on both sides, we left as unceremoniously as we had entered. We made a tour of all the principal streets, and as we returned to the plaza, the procession was coming out of the church. 
the village procession in honor of its patron saint is the great pride of the indian and the touchstone of his religious character every indian contributes his labor and money towards getting it up and he is most honored who is allowed the most important part in it this was a rich village at which all the muleteers of guatemala lived and nowhere had i seen an indian procession so imposing the church stood on an elevation at the head of the plaza its whole facade rich in ornaments illuminated by the light of torches and the large platform and the steps were thronged with women in white a space was cleared in the middle before the great door and with a loud chant the procession passed out of the doorway first came the alcalde and his alguacils all indians with rods of office in one hand and lighted wax candles six or eight feet long in the other then a set of devils not as playful as the devils of guatemala but more hideous and probably better likenesses according to the notions of the indians then came borne aloft by indians a large silver cross richly chased and ornamented and followed by the curate with a silken canopy held over his head on the ends of long poles borne by indians as the cross advanced all fell on their knees and a stranger would have been thought guilty of an insult upon their holy religion who omitted conforming to this ceremony then came figures of saints larger than life borne on the shoulders of indians and then a figure of the virgin gorgeously dressed her gown glittering with spangles then followed a long procession of indian women dressed in costume with a thick red cord twisted in the hair so as to look like a turban all carrying lighted candles the procession passed through the illuminated streets under the arches and stopping from time to time before the altars made a tour of the village and in about an hour with a loud chant ascended the steps of the church its re-entry was announced by a discharge of rockets after which all gathered in the plaza for the exhibition of fireworks it was some time before these were ready for those who had figured in the procession particularly the devils were to be the principal managers our party was well known in mishko and though the steps of the church were crowded one of the best places was immediately vacated for us from their nearness to guatemala the people of mishko knew all the principal families of the former place and were glad to see so distinguished a party at their fiesta and the familiar but respectful way in which they were everywhere treated manifested a simplicity of manners and a kindliness of feeling between the rich and the poor which to me was one of the most interesting parts of the whole feat the exhibition began with the toros the man who played the bull gave universal satisfaction scattering and putting to flight the crowd in the plaza he rushed up the steps of the church and amid laughing and screaming went out flying pigeons and other pieces followed and the whole concluded with the grand national piece of the castle of san felipe which was a representation of the repulse of an english fleet a tall structure representing the castle and a little brig perched on the end of a stick 
like a weathercock, the fleet. The brig fired a broadside, and then, by a sudden jerk, turned on a pivot and fired another, and long after, until she had riddled herself to pieces, the castle continued pouring on all sides a magnanimous stream of fire. When all was over, we returned to the posada. A cloth was spread over the long table, and in a few minutes, under the direction of the ladies, covered with the picnic materials brought from Guatemala. The benches were drawn up to the table, and as many as could find seats sat down. Before supper was over, there was an eruption of young men from Guatemala, with glazed hats, ponchos, and swords, and presenting a rather disorderly appearance. But they were mostly juveniles, brothers and cousins of the ladies. With their hats on, they seated themselves at the vacated tables, and as soon as they had finished eating, hurried off the plates, piled the tables away in a corner, one on top of the other, and the candles on the top of all. The violins struck up, and gentlemen and ladies, lighting cigars and cigarillos, commenced dancing. I am sorry to say that, generally, the ladies of Central America, not excepting Guatemala, smoke, married ladies, puros, or all tobacco, and unmarried, cigars, or tobacco wrapped in paper or straw. Every gentleman carries in his pocket a silver case with a long string of cotton, steel, and flint, taking up nearly as much space as a handkerchief, and one of the offices of gallantry is to strike a light. By doing it well, he may help to kindle a flame in a lady's heart. At all events, to do it bunglingly would be ill-bred. I will not express my sentiments on smoking as a custom for the sex. I have recollections of beauteous lips profaned. Nevertheless, even in this, I have seen a lady show her prettiness and refinement, barely touching the straw to her lips, as it were kissing it gently and taking it away. When a gentleman asks a lady for a light, she always removes the cigar from her lips. Happily, the dangerous proximity which sometimes occurs between gentlemen in the street is not in vogue. The dancing continued till two o'clock, and the breaking up was like the separation of a gay family party. The young men dispersed to sleep or to finish the night with merriment elsewhere, and Don Manuel and I retired to the house he had secured for us. We were in our hammocks, talking over the affairs of the night, when we heard a noise in the street, a loud tramping past the door, and a clash of swords. Presently Mr. P.'s servant knocked for admission, and told us that a man had been killed a few doors off by a sword cut across the head. Instead of going out to gratify an idle curiosity, like prudent men, we secured the door. The tramping passed up the street, and presently we heard reports of firearms. The whole place seemed to be in an uproar. We had hardly lain down again before there was another knock at the door. Our host, a respectable old man, with his wife, slept in a back room, and afraid of rioters they had a consultation about opening it. The former was unwilling to do so, but the latter, with a mother's apprehensions, said that she was afraid some accident had happened to Chico. The knocking continued, 
and Rafael, a known companion of their son, cried out that Chico was wounded. The old man rose for a light, and apprehending the worst, the mother and a young sister burst into tears. The old man sternly checked them, said that he had always cautioned Chico against going out at night, and that he deserved to be punished. The sister ran and opened the door, and two young men entered. We could see the glitter of their swords, and that one was supporting the other. And just as the old man procured a light, the wounded man fell on the ground. His face was ghastly pale and spotted with blood. His hat cut through the crown and rim as smoothly as if done with a razor, and his right hand and arm were wound in a pocket handkerchief which was stained with blood. The old man looked at him with the sternness of a Roman, and told him that he knew this would be the consequence of his running out at night. The mother and sister cried, and the young man with a feeble voice begged his father to spare him. His companion carried him into the back room, but before they could lay him on the bed, he fell again and fainted. The father was alarmed, and when he recovered asked him whether he wished to confess. Chico, with a faint voice, answered, "'As you please.' The old man told his daughter to go for the padre, but the uproar was so great in the street that she was afraid to venture out. In the meantime we examined his head, which, notwithstanding the cut through his hat, was barely touched, and he said himself that he had received the blow on his hand, and that it was cut off. There was no physician nearer than Guatemala, and not a person who was able to do anything for him. I had had some practice in medicine, but none in surgery. I knew, however, that it was at all events proper to wash and cleanse the wound, and with the assistance of Don Manuel's servant, a young Englishman whom Don Manuel had brought from the United States, laid him on a bed. The servant had had some experience in the brawls of the country, having killed a young man in a quarrel growing out of a love affair, and been confined to the house seven months by wounds received in the same encounter. With his assistance I unwound the bloody handkerchief, as I proceeded, I found my courage failing me, and as with the last coil a dead hand fell in mine, a shudder and a deep groan ran through the spectators, and I almost let the hand drop. It was cut off through the back above the knuckles, and the four fingers hung merely by the fleshy part of the thumb. The skin was drawn back and showed on each side four bones protruding like the teeth of a skeleton. I joined them together, and as he drew up his arm, they jarred like the grating of teeth. I saw that the case was beyond my art. Possibly the hand might have been restored by sewing the skin together, but I believed that the only thing to be done was to cut it off entirely, and this I was not willing to do. Unable to give any further assistance, I wound it up again in the handkerchief. The young man had a mild and pleasing countenance, and as thankful for my ineffectual attempt as if I had really served him, told me not to give myself any more trouble, but return to bed. His mother and sister, with stifled sobs, hung over his head. His father retained the sternness of his manner, but it was easy to see that his heart was bleeding and to me, a stranger, 
it was horrible to see a fine young man mutilated for life in a street brawl as he told the story himself he was walking with some of his friends when he met one of the spinosas from guatemala also with a party of friends the latter who was known as a bully approached them with an expression in spanish about equivalent to the english one i'll give it to you chico answered no you won't and immediately they drew their swords chico in attempting to ward off a stroke received it on the edge of his right hand in passing through all the bones its force was so much broken that it only cut the crown and rim of his hat the loss of his hand had no doubt saved his life for if the whole force of the stroke had fallen on his head it must have killed him but the unfortunate young man instead of being thankful for his escape swore vengeance against spinoza the latter as i afterward learned swore that the next time chico should not escape with the loss of his hand and in all probability when they meet again one of them will be killed all this time the uproar continued shifting its location with occasional reports of firearms an aunt was wringing her hands because her son was out and we had reason to fear a tragical night we went to bed but for a long time the noise in the street the groans of poor chico and the sobbing of his mother and sister kept us from sleeping we did not wake till nearly ten o'clock it was sunday the morning was bright and beautiful the arches and flowers still adorned the streets and the indians in their clean clothes were going to sunday mass none except the immediate parties knew or cared for the events of the night crossing the plaza we met a tall dashing fellow on horseback with a long sword by his side who bowed to mr pavone and rode on past the house of chico this was spinoza no one attempted to molest him and no notice whatever was taken of the circumstance by the authorities the door of the church was so crowded that we could not enter and passing through the curate's house we stood in a doorway on one side of the altar the curate in his richest vestments with young indian assistants in sacerdotal dresses their long black hair and sluggish features contrasting sharply with their garb and occupations was officiating at the altar on the front steps with their black mantons drawn over their heads and their eyes bent on the ground were the dancers of our party the preceding night kneeling along the whole floor of the immense church was a dense mass of indian women with red headdresses and leaning against the pillars and standing up in the background were indians wrapped in black chamars we waited till mass was over and then accompanied the ladies to the house and breakfasted sunday though it was the occupations for the day were a cockfight in the morning and bullfight in the afternoon our party was increased by the arrival of a distinguished family from guatemala and we all set out for the former it was in the yard of an unoccupied house which was already crowded and i noticed to the honor of the indians and the shame of the better classes that they were all mestizos or white men and always excepting carrera's soldiers 
I never saw a worse-looking or more assassin-like set of men. All along the walls of the yard were cocks tied by one leg, and men running about with other cocks under their arms, putting them on the ground to compare size and weight, regulating bets, and trying to cheat each other. At length a match was made. The ladies of our party had seats in the corridor of the house, and a space was cleared before them. The gaffs were murderous instruments, more than two inches long, thick and sharp as needles, and the birds were hardly on the ground before the feathers of the neck were ruffled and they flew at each other. In less time than had been taken to gaff them, one was lying on the ground with its tongue hanging out, and the blood running from its mouth, dead. The eagerness and vehemence, noise and uproar, wrangling, betting, swearing, and scuffling of the crowd, exhibited a dark picture of human nature and a sanguinary people. I owe it to the ladies to say that in the city they never are present at such scenes. Here they went for no other reason that I could see than because they were away from home and it was part of the feat. We must make allowances for an education and state of society every way different from our own. They were not wanting in sensibility or refinement, and though they did not turn away with disgust, they seemed to take no interest in the fight and were not disposed to wait for a second. Leaving the disgusting scene, we walked around the suburbs, one point of which commands a noble view of the plain and city of Guatemala, with the surrounding mountains, and suggests a wonder that, amid objects so grand and glorious, men can grow up with tastes so groveling. Crossing the plaza, we heard music in a large house belonging to a rich muleteer, and entering, we found a young harpist and two mendicant friars with shaved crowns, dressed in white, with long white mantles and hoods, of an order newly revived in Guatemala, and drinking agua ardiente. Mantas and hats were thrown off, tables and seats placed against the wall, and in a few moments my friends were waltzing. Two or three cotillions followed, and we returned to the posada, where, after fruit of various kinds had been served, all took seats on the back piazza. A horse happened to be loose in the yard, and a young man, putting his hands on the hind quarters, jumped on his back. The rest of the young men followed suit, and then one lifted the horse up by his forelegs. When he dropped him, another took him up, and all followed, very much to the astonishment of the poor animal. Then followed standing on the piazza and jumping over each other's heads. Then one leaped down with his hands resting on the piazza, and another mounted on his back, and the former tried to shake him off without letting go his hands. Other feats followed, all impromptu, and each more absurd than the one before it, and the whole concluded with a bullfight, in which two young men mounted on the backs of other two as matadors, and one, with his head between his shoulders, ran at them like a bull. Though these amusements were not very elegant, all were so intimate with each other and there was such a perfect abandonment that the whole went off with shouts of laughter. This over, the young men brought out the ladies' mantas, and again we sallied for a walk. 
but reaching the plaza the young men changed their minds and seating the ladies to whom i attached myself in the shade commenced prisoners base all who passed stopped and the villagers seemed delighted with the gaiety of our party the players tumbled each other in the dust to the great amusement of the lookers-on and this continued till we saw trays coming across the plaza which was a sign of dinner this over and thinking that i had seen enough for one sunday i determined to forego the bull-fight and in company with don manuel and another prominent member of the assembly and his family i set out on my return to the city their mode of travelling was primitive all were on horseback he himself with a little son behind him his daughter alone his wife on a pillion with a servant to support her a servant-maid with a child in her arms and a servant on top of the luggage it was a beautiful afternoon and the plain of guatemala with its green grass and dark mountains was a lovely scene as we entered the city we encountered a religious procession with priests and monks all bearing lighted candles and preceded by men throwing rockets we avoided the plaza on account of the soldiers and in a few minutes i was in my house alone end of section fifteen